Glory to Jesus Christ. Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their histories, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois. And this is a story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith, courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by Eastern Christian Publications, where you can find the prayers of the Catholic Byzantine Daily Office at ecpubs.com and by easternchristianmedia.com, a broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's easternchristianpublications.com. Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I am Father Thomas Loya, your host. And once again, in the liturgical calendar, this time of both lungs of the church, east and west, we have another exciting experience. See how I get excited about these things? And so should you. Now, it's not just because I'm a priest. Naturally, this is my life, and I love it. I love the church. I love the rhythm, the life of the church. But hopefully you do too, and especially if you listen to this program, because we do spend a lot of time, many programs, in which we do focus and present the liturgical calendar. In other words, the events of the life of Christ, the events of salvation history that are commemorated throughout the year in different seasons in the liturgical calendar. Now, this is true for both the East and the Western lungs of the church, but of course, in particular, we focus on those events on the liturgical calendar of the Eastern churches. And it was just 13 days ago that we celebrated the beginning of the new liturgical year, September 1st, in the Byzantine liturgical calendar. Now, that used to be the beginning of the new year in the civil calendar in the Byzantine Empire. And eventually, the church retained that cycle, in the East at least. And so, the Byzantine liturgical calendar begins on September 1st. The first major feast day that begins the liturgical year is, very appropriately, the Nativity of the Mother of God, her birth, which we did celebrate. We just came through that, and now we focus on the cross. But just before we go to the cross, we have a related event. And that is the consecration of the Church of the Resurrection, because it had to do with the finding of the true cross in Jerusalem. Now, I'm going to read a little bit of history from one of our favorite sources here at Light of the East, a source that I recommend every household should have, especially if you are an Eastern Catholic or an Eastern Orthodox Christian, and that is called the Prologue of Okrit. It's also called the Synaxarian. It says this for September 13th, when the Holy Empress Helena, now she was an empress in the Byzantine Empire, which of course today is modern-day Turkey, Istanbul, Turkey. At that time it was Byzantium and then later Constantinople, named after her son, who was the 
Roman emperor who transferred the center of the Roman Empire to Byzantium because he was so impressed with that. And of course, later he became Christian. So the Holy Empress Helena found the Lord's cross in Jerusalem. She stayed longer in the city and built churches in Gethsemane, in Bethlehem, on the Mount of Olives, and in other places that commemorated the life and work of our Lord Jesus Christ. On Golgotha, where she found the precious cross, she began to build an enormous church under whose roof would be the places both where the Lord was crucified and where he was buried. Now, I'm going to stop for a moment there because I experienced that. If you've ever experienced that in the Holy Lands, which I highly recommend you get to in your lifetime if you can, you'll notice that, that the place where Christ was crucified and the place where he was taken down from the cross and then buried are all basically under the same roof. It's a large church, yes, but it's not like it's blocks and blocks apart. These sites are very close to each other, actually. Okay, I'll continue. Helena went to the Lord before this magnificent church was completed. It was finished in the same year in which Constantine completed 30 years on the throne, and so the consecration of the church and the emperor's jubilee were fixed on the same day, September 13th. And this is the year 335 AD, in other words, the 4th century. At that time, a local council of bishops was meeting in Tyra. These bishops, with many others, made their way to Jerusalem to the solemn consecration of the church of the resurrection of the Lord. It was then instituted that this day, as a day of victory and triumph for the Church of Christ, should be celebrated every year. Now, another interesting point about this, another indication of the two lungs of the Church. As I always say, they arrive at the same point, but come to it by different ways. The Church of the Resurrection is called that by Eastern churches. In the Western churches, it's called the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. And it's interesting because there is an indication here of the two emphasis. The Eastern churches, of course, very, very resurrection-oriented. And so there are two sites there where Christ was crucified and where he's buried and rose. But the East chooses to call this great, enormous church the Church of the Resurrection. In the West, it's known as the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, which throws the emphasis a little bit more towards Christ's death and burial. So, you get the complete picture by means of both lungs of the church. This is one of these really interesting moments where we see how the church clearly comes from two different perspectives, complementary perspectives, but arrives at the same place. Now, in the liturgical text for this day, we sing prayers such as this. O Lord, as you had shown from on high the splendor of the firmament, so did you show on earth the splendor of the dwelling place of your holy glory. Make it stand firm forever and ever and accept the supplications which we offer unceasingly to you through your mother. O Lord, you are the life and resurrection of all of us. Now, the next day is September 14th, which is the Feast of the Exaltation of the Cross. Now, here, again, we have some more interesting dimensions of the church east and west. Again, we'll look at a bit of history from our favorite source, the Synaxarium. And it says this for September 14th. On this day are commemorated two events connected with the precious cross of Christ. The first, the finding of the cross on Golgotha, and the second, the returning of the cross to Jerusalem from Persia. Staying in the Holy Land, the Holy Empress Helena, which of course we just read about earlier, decided to look for the precious cross of the Lord. An old Jewish man called Judah was the only person who knew the whereabouts of the cross, and under pressure from the empress, he revealed that the cross was buried under the temple of Venus that the emperor Hadrian had built on Golgotha. 
The empress ordered that this idolatrous temple be pulled down, and then digging deep below it, she found three crosses. While the empress was in uncertainty about how to recognize which cross was the Lord's, a funeral procession passed by. Then, Patriarch Macarius told them to place the crosses one by one on the dead man. When they placed the first and second on him, the dead man remained unchanged. But when they placed the third on him, he was restored to life. By this, they knew that this was the precious and life-giving cross of Christ. After that, they placed it on a sick woman, and she recovered. Then the patriarch raised the cross aloft for all to see, and the people sang with tears, Lord, have mercy. The Empress Helena had a silver casing made and placed the precious cross in it. Later, King Khosrus conquered Jerusalem, took the people into slavery, and carried the Lord's cross off to Persia, where it remained for 14 years. In 628 AD, the Greek emperor Heraclius was victorious over Croesus and brought the cross back to Jerusalem with great ceremony. Entering the city, Heraclius was carrying the cross on his back, but suddenly the aged emperor was unable to take another step. Patriarch Zacharias saw an angel directing the emperor to take off his imperial robes and walk beneath the cross along the way that Christ had walked, barefoot and humiliated as he had been. He passed this vision on to the emperor who stripped him of his raiment and, in poor clothing and barefoot, took up the cross, carried it to Golgotha, and placed it in the church of the resurrection to the joy and consolation of the whole Christian world. All right, so now we get a little bit of the history of the origins of this great feast of the exaltation of the cross. Now, there was a little detail in there that said when the patriarch held the cross up, everybody bowed before it and said, Lord, have mercy. Well, in the Byzantine liturgy for this feast day, one of the things we do is we take the cross, richly decorated. It's usually a wooden cross. The priest takes it. It's on the altar. He takes it in procession out of the sanctuary. He goes before the icon screen, which divides the sanctuary from the nave, holds it up, he makes a special chant, and then he brings it to a little table in the middle of the church called a tetrapod, in which he bows before it, and then he raises it up, going to the four corners of this table. Each time he raises it up, he does a litany, and the people respond, Lord have mercy, but they say it a hundred times, 100 times for each litany. And while they're doing it, the priest is holding that cross up, And he bows low and slow, as low as he can, and then he rises up slowly all the way to a standing position again, holding that cross high above his head. And he does that for every litany, all four sides of this table called the tetrapod. And this is a liturgical reenactment of what happened when Macarius held up the true cross in Jerusalem centuries and centuries ago. Now, in addition to how we arrive at things liturgically, east and west, we also have differences, I like to call them complementary ways, in which we look at certain things, certain aspects of our faith and theology, and in this case, it's the cross. When you look at a cross in most eastern churches, there's a couple of things you'll notice that might be a little different than crosses that we normally see in what we know as Roman Catholic churches, or even Protestant churches, for those that have crosses. One of those things is the fact that some Eastern crosses have three bars on them, two horizontal bars, and a third one, which is down towards the bottom of the vertical part of the cross, and it is slanted. Now, that's the kind of cross that especially certain Slavic churches have, such as Russian churches and also churches like mine, the Ruthenian churches. 
The Ukrainians tend not to use the three bars. But this cross is certainly something that gets a lot of attention from visitors at any of our churches. They always ask, why does that cross have three bars and why is the one bar they call it crooked? Well, we're going to talk more about that when we return. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern Lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com. And then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. You are listening to the Choirs of Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church under the direction of Timothy Woods in Homer Glen, Illinois. This is the music you hear on Light of the East and is sung during the Sacred Liturgy at Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish. Order online at byzantinecatholic.com. All we ask is a donation of $15 or more, which includes shipping and handling, to Annunciation Parish for each Theosis CD. Send a check made out to Annunciation Parish at 14610 Wilcook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. And may God grant you... You're listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Did you know that God constructed women's arms differently than men's? I am Father Thomas Loya with the Theology of the Body moment for the Tabor Life Institute. The axis of a woman's outstretched arms angles inward at the elbow, whereas in men, the axis is straighter. This enables women to bring things to themselves easier than men. Everything about a woman's body, her mind, heart, and soul, is designed for connectedness and to bring the world close to her heart. The language of her body says that God is close, tender, and loving. But she also has what John Paul II called a genius. It is her gift of receptivity, stamped in the very design of her body. The Pope said that this makes woman the archetype of the human race because God designed the human race simply to receive his love. To find out more about the theology of the body, visit TaborLife.org. TaborLife.org. Welcome back to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya, your host. On this day in which the two lungs of the church converge for the celebration, the exaltation of the cross. You know, usually we think of the cross, we think of the sorrowful aspect of it. You know, the, the shame, the suffering that Christ endured. And certainly that is very, very much a part of the cross and its theology and its relevancy for us in terms of our redemption. However, this feast day, East and West celebrate another dimension of the cross, which goes along with the suffering. In fact, we combine the two, and that's very important, because truth is always lived in the both and. That's certainly a strength from the Eastern churches. We emphasize it a lot. It is precisely in the suffering and taking on that suffering that Christ then 
breaks the power of that. He triumphs over that. So the suffering now becomes, in this sense of the both and, becomes victory, triumph. So the cross, ordinarily a sign of everything bad, becomes this triumph, this trophy. And that's one of the reasons we hold it up liturgically on this feast of its exaltation. In fact, we call it the exaltation of the cross. As I mentioned, there's three bars on Slavic Byzantine crosses. The three bars represent, as you might guess, the three persons of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We love to do things in three. So we have a cross with three bars. Well, it actually has a practical origin as well. That third bar at the bottom of the cross is the footstool of Christ. So in a sense, he did have three bars because the other one, the first one, the top, represents the insignia that was above his head. Remember that? The Romans put above his head, Jesus Christ, King of the Jews. In other words, the reason why he was crucified, his crime in their mind. The second one, of course, the second horizontal bar below the first one is where Christ stretched his arms out and was nailed to that bar. Then the third one, as I mentioned, is his footstool. There is actually three bars on the actual cross. The third one representing the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. So we've got three bars, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. But That bar, as I mentioned on the Slavic crosses, is slanted. In other words, it slants upward to the right of Christ and downward to his left. It's like at a diagonal. And this represents a couple of things. First of all, it represents the diagonal that points upward, represents to the right hand of Christ, which, of course, is where the good thief was, the repentant thief that Jesus said would this day be in heaven with him because he was repentant. The other side of the cross, of course, naturally, since it's diagonal, points downward, downward towards the thief that did not repent, implicating that if we do not repent, we will end up downward in hell. But the cross also, because of its angle, takes on the character of some of the crosses that the saints, the apostles, were crucified on, especially St. Andrew and St. Peter. They were crucified on X-shaped crosses and also crosses that were turned upside down at their request because they did not believe they were worthy enough to be even crucified in the same way as their Lord. So there are several meanings to the three bars of the cross. Now, another form of the Eastern cross, one that's more what we call the Greek cross, also uses the number three, but it does not have three bars. It just has one horizontal bar, one vertical bar. But on the end of each of the bars, in other words, on each end of the horizontal bar, on each end, top and bottom of the vertical bar, there are three, well, it looks like scallops, three half circles on each of those ends of the bars. And what do you think that symbolizes? Yeah, you got it. <laughs> Especially if you listen to this program for any length of time. You know how much we Easterners love three because we love to invoke always and point to the Trinity. So in both the Slavic cross and the Greek cross, you have in its configurations the image, the indication of the Trinity because as we sing in the liturgy, it is the Trinity that saved us. Yes, Jesus Christ is our Savior, but salvation was actually an act of the entire Trinity. In particular, of course, our Lord God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who took on flesh, took on our suffering and our sin and death and broke the power of all that. But he also sent the Holy Spirit and he was sent by God the Father for that mission. So we have the Trinity involved in our redemption. And so we love to incorporate the Trinity even when it comes to Jesus Christ's own cross. Another feature of Eastern crosses is you will very seldom see a corpus on it, at least a corpus in the way that we're used to seeing it, the way we understand it. 
very lifelike, lots of the imagery of the suffering of Christ, you know, his contorted body, lots of blood, especially certain cultures, such as the Latin American cultures. They have a great tradition of having corpses on the cross, which are very, very graphic, very, very real, very uh, sharp crown of thorns and the crowns poking out from the thorns and the head of Christ and blood all over him. His side very much opened up, his body contorted in pain, seeing every one of his muscles and bones. This is the characteristic cross of many Western cultures, in particular the Latin American cultures. And this is a symbol or a presentation of the reality of Christ's suffering. In other words, the incarnational reality, how thoroughly he did take on our human nature and our suffering. So it has its own pedagogical significance. But in the East, though, there's another emphasis. It's always complementary emphasis. The East seldom has a cross with the corpus on it. Or if it's on there, it's painted as an icon, you know, two-dimension, flat. And there is very little indication of the suffering. There's a little indication of the side of Christ opened up. And the blood and water that comes out usually is coming out in a fountain-like pattern. Because again, there's a theological significance here. The East is always trying to take the natural dimension and point us to its theological significance. In other words, its ultimate significance. Usually we say that's the mystical meaning, the mystical significance. In other words, that which points to our ultimate destiny, the ultimate meaning of something. So the natural suffering of Christ in his human nature on the cross, it is present in Eastern crosses but it is not as emphasized as in the West. They want to emphasize that this Christ was also God, and he took on this suffering and made it redemptive, and he triumphed over that. So they tend to lessen the graphic portrayal of the suffering, you know, the blood and the guts. But as I mentioned, it's very important to note, though, that the blood and water coming from Christ's side, which is definitely there in Eastern icons of Christ's crucifixion, those take on a very theological significance, the blood and water, of course. One of those meanings, of course, is that it is the symbol of our own baptism and of the Eucharist. So the church is being born from the side of Christ. As Bishop Fulton J. Sheen himself said in a homily he gave to priests, he giving the mystical, another mystical dimension of the water and blood from Christ's side. And in this, he is actually referring to an analogy by St. Augustine. He refers to it in terms of nuptials, and this is actually the very seed of Christ in which he is reconceiving on the cross as the new Adam, a new human race with the new Eve, who is his blessed mother. So she takes on not only who she is as his mother, but more so, she takes on the meaning of the mystical new Eve, the mystical new bride of the mystical bridegroom Christ, the new Adam. And so the blood and water from Christ's side has a number of meanings, and they are all mystical and theological. And notice how they have to do with our sacramental life, baptism, marriage, and Eucharist. So there is this de-emphasis of the carnal suffering of Christ on the cross and more of an emphasis of the theological meaning. There's one more reason for this. And again, we have to understand a little bit of history of the Eastern churches. In the East, just as in the West, there were respective battles for the true faith. The true faith was oftentimes challenged or misunderstood and misrepresented in certain ways. And some of these ways were relative to the history and locale of the two lungs of the church, East and West. One of the things that was always raging in the East 
was heresies and false teachings that tended to deny the divinity of Christ. So the East, in its theology, liturgy, iconography, tended to emphasize the divine nature of Christ, not at the expense of his human nature, but as a stronger emphasis of the divine nature. The East was always trying to get us to understand that, yes, this second person of the Trinity took on our own being, our whole self in every way except sin. But he wasn't just human. He was human, perfectly human, thoroughly human, but not only human. He was also divine. And to emphasize that against what was oftentimes confusion or false teachings in that regard, the East tended to emphasize that transcendent, triumphant, regal, royal, divine dimension of God yet without losing his human dimension. So again, it's always a challenge of the both and. How do you hold those two ideas together? How can someone be fully human and fully God at the same time? This was the great challenge that was met by the iconography of the church, especially East. This is why iconography looks the way it does, because it follows certain, I'll use the term canons, It follows certain canons and styles because it is trying to communicate that both and reality of God, that he is both God and man, fully God, fully man, not one or the other or either or, but both and. I want to thank you for listening. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. To hear Light of the East again, visit ByzantineCatholic.com and click on the Features and Programs tab and on iTunes. Light of the East is produced by ADC Media. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the light of the East. To learn more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue Light of the East with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount will be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610 Wilcook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. Or donate online on the homepage of ByzantineCatholic.com. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God grant you many happy years. <laughs>